Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. It has been a minute, but we are back and we are in action here in this episode. This is the first of a series that we're doing with a guy named Andrew Jasko, and we're talking about healing after spirituality, after religion, or moving forward in church, if that's your thing, however you're going through your journey. But this is the first of that installment. Uh, Enjoy, guys. So essentially, me and my buddy, Ben, who started this podcast, now it's me, Ben, and Nate, um, we all left the church that we were a part of. We had a really rough situation, um, a lot of, it was a non-denominational charismatic church. There was a lot of control power with the pastor and his family who ran the church, and it was a very stressful situation, um, and there was a lot of anger and resentment when I first left for me. And that's something I took, it took me a year or so to process it all. And the podcast has been a huge help with that. Um, But without going too much into my story, because everyone on the podcast has heard it before, probably 10 times. um, What I want to do with this episode and hopefully future ones to come is talk about healing and moving out of a place of hurt and anger and resentment, it's kind of a tricky thing to navigate because there's so much emotional tie to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that w- times when I've I've tried to bring it up in conversations or on tweets or on Facebook messages, it doesn't generally get received very well. And th- I'm I'm not putting that blame on anybody. I mean, I understand because I I've been through that hurt. Um, and I've been through that pain, but I wanted to get you on so we can talk about, um, you obviously have a background and I'll give you a minute to introduce yourself once I do this little spiel here, but you have a background in these types of things and healing and spiritual healing. And I really wanted to get you on the podcast and, um, I don't know the, the people who kind of listen to our show, I want to give them some some positive stuff to listen to and uh, some stuff for healing and not just, you know, us complaining something else that's wrong with church and like how to fix church and stuff, but like really focus on ourselves and like, how can we heal as people? Absolutely. I really like what you said. Um, And really working through anger and grief is one of the biggest issues in the whole process and our emotions coming to terms with that experience. So I think it's really important to understand, first of all, what happened, like what did we actually go through and how do we frame and conceptualize and understand that and break it down so we can then deal with it. Uh, So yeah, I think it's really important to kind of go through the anger, but like you're saying, not stop there, not leave it there. Exactly. Say, how do we go forward with it? Yeah, because I think it's, you know, I don't want to downplay the anger because I went through it. I don't want to downplay the hurt because, you know, a a lot of the people who have been through these situations, you know, the hurt is there because they were genuinely hurt, whether it was by a family member or a pastor or 
maybe they wrestled with God and felt hurt afterwards, like they couldn't grasp or whatever. But I, the anger and the pain are good things in proportion, I feel like. Because I feel like that's that's just the in life. You know, things have to be proportioned right. Um, you know, without without sounding absurd or whatever, I, I love the evangelical group. You know, the, the one thing that I feel like is destructive about it is the fact that, you know, you have all these people coming together and, and it's good processing this pain and this hurt, but we've got to not only do that, but we've got to move past that. We've got to get to where we're in a healthy place again. And I don't know. Um, I feel like you, you're the right guy to talk about that with. Um, so what is your background? What are you, you, you know, what's your level of expertise with this type of thing? Well, first of all, my background starts with my experience. I am the son of a Pentecostal Christian minister. And that's a form of charismatic, evangelical, born-again Christianity. And my father started the church that I grew up in when I was, uh, soon after I was born, basically. And I had received a prophecy before I was born that I was going to be a, a leader in the church, essentially. Someone who would help turn people to God. So I grew up in this church community with this vision of leadership, uh, knowing that I was going to be a missionary in my heart and being fully assured of the gospel, radically, radically devoted. So I studied Bible theology and ministry at the Evangelical Christian College called Wheaton College. And I ended up taking a two-month missionary trip to India. And I fell in love with the nation of India and decided I was going to go be a missionary to India to train indigenous leaders to convert their distinct ethno-linguistic groups, their tribes, to Christianity and bring about the second coming of Jesus Christ. So I was really radically committed to that, yeah. and I decided to study at Princeton Theological Seminary to get my Master of Divinity degree, to become really well-versed in the scriptures, learn the original Hebrew and Greek languages so I could uh, study and teach the Bible, and... Uh, during that time period, I ended up experiencing a rude awakening. I discovered that uh, the Bible was the source of all kinds of oppressive doctrines that caused me an enormous amount of anxiety, guilt, shame, depression, all kinds of uh, oppressions that I was experiencing, and I woke up to that. Uh, yeah. So I ended up leaving, and uh, now what I'm doing after several years is studying for my doctorate in clinical psychology, training to be a clinical psychologist. I do coaching for healing from religious trauma and spiritual transitions, and I blog. I've got hundreds and hundreds of pages of articles on this topic uh, on my website. So that's what I'm up to right now. Uh, go ahead and plug your website if you want. Sure. It's called lifeafterdogma.org. Yeah. And I just blog. Really, my focus is exposing the psychological and spiritual abuse within religious systems and scriptures. Just naming that and putting it in a language that people understand and then providing resources for healing. Say, how do we reclaim our sexuality or spirituality and go on with our lives, which is, I know, what, what you're passionate about as well. Yeah. 
Yeah. So anyone listening, um, you know, if you really feel like you're in a place you want to, you know, really want to work through all this in a healthy way. I know for a while I wasn't working through it in a healthy way and you can go back and listen to past episodes, man, the early episodes we did, especially, you know, to just put as blatantly as possible. I was pissed off. I mean, I was hurt. I was angry. Dude, there was a couple episodes that I actually had to take down because it was so it was so blatantly offensive to the church that we came out of that I went back and listened to it afterward and in a stable state of mind where I wasn't just mad, I I was, you know, listened back to it and you know, I I, just, I couldn't put that up. It was just, so so yeah, if anyone wants to Go check his stuff out. Go do it. Um, I'm sure you have tons of resources, like you said, tons of blogs, articles, um, stuff like that. And I'm sure you guys can find lots of good healing stuff with that. Um, so if you had to, if you had to say one scripture that has hurt people the most from Christian. Uh, Christian lingo or Christian churches and stuff like that. What would you say it was? What would you say it is? Well, one one doctrine I, or one scripture. How about I start with the sinner's prayer? Yeah, yeah. Or you know the gospel message. I think the whole gospel message is the most abusive part of of Christianity. The the really the core ideas uh, in the faith for a lot of people are fundamentally oppressive. And I, w- I want to frame uh, the religion, or at least the fundamentalist version of it, if not the, the whole overarching system, as a system of oppression and abuse. Okay. Uh, and really, a, a lot of time, authoritarianism. Um, I mean, it's it really, there's a systemic and sustained psychological, spiritual existential, communal uh, abuse that yeah. happens to people. And I think that one of the, the most damaging issues is the breaking down of the sense of identity and the sense of self, the destruction of that through shame. Uh, and the yeah. idea that, that you're bad, that you're evil, fundamentally, just for being born for who you are, and that we are supposed to surrender our spirits, our souls, our bodies to an outside deity, a foreign spirit, uh, who's known as Jesus of the Holy Spirit. And in order to be saved, we give away our agency entirely for the purpose of obedience. Yeah. Yeah, I won't lie. That is one thing. Um, I don't know if you've listened back to any of our past co- podcasts before coming on here, but that is something I've been struggling a lot with in general is just, you know, do I believe or not? And that systemic thing is what I come back to of that fundamental teaching of, well, you were born into sin. You just, because you exist, you are going to hell. And that's something that I really struggle with. Like, you know, this God who is supposed to be omnipotent, omniscient, all-knowing, all-good, why on earth would he create me and why would he make me knowing that 
just for being born, I'm destined for hell. That I am destined for destruction and eternal torment. Um, and the only way out of that, I saw a meme the other day on Twitter. Um, it was Jesus knocking on a door and it said, let me in, I love you. And if you also, if you don't let me in, I'm throwing you in hell. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so what that is, is it's abuse. It, there's, there's no other word for it besides abuse. Uh, honestly, it, of, of an extreme kind. I mean, telling someone that their fundamental nature is bad and is evil. Uh, how do we expect people to behave well if we're telling them that they're bad and they're evil? And, I, I mean, it's it's hilarious on one, one level, and it's also tragic and sad. The the whole idea of hell and divine judgment, I mean, if if we're going to have a God, then that's the highest blasphemy. To call this God, like this, this master, maniacal doctor evil, this is the most evil vision for humanity in the universe that I could possibly imagine. Yeah. I mean, it's more ingenious than the most ingenious fascist idea to torture almost everyone and to put them enslavement to obedience even in heaven uh yeah. whether you're in heaven or in you're in hell you're a slave the bible describes this relationship to god as a master slave relationship you're a slave of god you surrender everything you give up your your life and your soul and your spirit and and it's really an abusive love relationship too because god is often framed as a lover but he's yeah. framed in the scripture as an abusive lover. There are three uh, passages that describe God uh, as an abusive lover with Israel. Um, extended rape metaphors, actually. Oh, wow. Uh, wh where, where God describes his relationship to Israel, uh, giving them up to the foreign nations to be raped and pillaged and ravaged because she cheated on him and wasn't entirely faithful. I mean, we're commanded to confess all of our sexual thoughts and fantasies and emotions that are yeah. deviants to, to God. It, it's like, and, and you see people in abusive relationships and we see this kind of thing in literal relationships when people get their needs met from an abusive lover. And that's why they don't leave them because there's a mixture of good and bad. If it was all bad, if this whole thing was bad, then people wouldn't stay in it because it'd be so glaringly obvious that it was abuse. But they're getting real love you know, they're getting a sense of community, but at the same time, the abusive lover says every so often, I'm going to kill you if you leave. And that's where the hook is. Yeah, and so many things, uh, so many things to derive from that. Uh, before I go any any further, like, so you, you said you were a minister, right? Where Where are you right now, like on a spiritual spectrum? Are you a believer? Are you still a minister? Um where, where are you not a believer? Where are you right now in the whole, in the aspect of spirituality? This is an interesting and difficult question to answer. Yeah. So in one sense, I'm comfortable calling myself an atheist in that I don't believe in any kind of a Judeo-Christian God as an outside deity or creator or anything like that. Um, and I don't subscribe to a view of the universe that separates the universe into categories of supernatural and natural. I think it's all one thing. And, and things that we don't understand, yeah. it's all one thing. There's no spirit and matter. Everything is connected. But I, I'm also somebody who's very much involved in 
psychedelic and spiritual exploration, practices of meditation, where I experience things all the time. And scientists are studying this too, by the way. This is mainstream science. A lot of the atheist community has really stuck in this kind of Cartesian, dualistic, Darwinian, or whatever time period, a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, and we're really integrating things like meditative states. And I mean, even with my psychology work, people regularly experience things like past life regressions or astral travel or or encountering what seem like spirits or other beings. Now, how do we frame that? Do we frame that as spirits or supernatural or as or as in your mind, or I mean, that's a different discussion, right? But I'm exploring yeah. all these kind of things and taking them seriously. No, we are too, as as well. That's I, I really feel like we're on a on the same wavelength um, there. Yeah, we just did an episode three or four episodes back where we had uh, one of our co-hosts, Nate. He used to work with a girl named Crystal, and she genuinely believes she's been abducted by aliens. So we just had her on for the second time on the podcast talking more about signs of alien abduction and stuff like that not even as a joking in a joking sense but looking at these in realistic ways you know i've recently been getting into meditation because since leaving the church and deconstructing you know one thing i've noticed is um, and we can bring this back to our main point here lack of peace a i've noticed a more of a uh what's a word to uh, volatile state almost within myself and uh, my spirit, you could say, uh, but just within like my mind. And I, I don't know. So I've been getting into more meditation, getting into uh, get accessing my own headspace, not necessarily, you know, I'm not like meditating on the word of God anymore. And I'm not in my room praying, even well, though that's not meditation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's just like you know, brainwashing a scripture into your it's mind. The opposite yeah. of meditation. It, it's it's getting more into your mind and, and yeah. focusing on a thought. Exactly. So what I've been focusing on is just uh, I use the app Headspace, and I've been using that just as a uh, just mental digestion, I guess, like <laughs> processing everything that you know that goes through my head on a day to day basis because. When when you, I think one thing we don't realize is when we lose uh, church or spirituality or, you know, like I personally have like God on the table completely right now. And a lot of my thoughts line up with atheist or agnostic thoughts of God. And I'm constantly, you know, thinking those along that same, those same lines of those same measures. So I'm trying to figure out, you know, how do I process all this? I don't have worship services anymore i don't have expressions of emotion um other than you know you know talking to my wife or my friends or you know podcasting and you know processing with guys like you um so how do i how do i do that now so i've been getting into like meditation and stuff like that which it, which has been really good but um I, I don't know like what is uh what are a few tips and tricks for say like the deconstructing christian like how do we how do we handle the trauma of those experiences of like leaving those very aggressive and bad relationships like how do we how do we process and how do we move on from that 
Great. Huge topic. And I want to frame it a little bit first and and then fully dive into it if we can do that. Yeah, take your time. I got all the time so, in the world. Awesome. So first, I want to say to anyone who has left religion or is in the process of transitioning, any kind of process, uh, good job. Congratulations. And you're to be commended for your courage. This is a really courageous and challenging thing to do, to face the fact that something you've given all your energy to, all your devotion to, isn't working and that you need to change. I mean, and, yeah, kudos. and facing all the obstacles. I mean, yeah. really good job. Really pat yourself on the back. It's, it's a challenging thing. And, um, and for your sincerity too, I, I hear people over and over again saying, you know, I really tried, I really tried hard. And I think that a lot of times it's because people are really sincere and really moral and honest that they they find themselves leaving uh, usually it doesn't feel like something yep. we consciously choose like people will say to me all the time you know good for you what what made you decide to leave and i said well i kind of woke up like i didn't have a choice uh exactly. because i was trying so hard and suffering so much uh so it's that sincerity and that 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 honesty, that integrity and purity of heart, really, that, that often leads people to, to liberation, to find their humanity. Uh, and there's, there's a, and, and it, it's a really big loss, and I want to acknowledge that, that this, this total life identity system that can be religion is a huge loss. And Jesus actually says something that I like here. So I'm going to quote Jesus if we're okay with that. I but he go says, for it. He says, for what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? So Mark 8, 36. And, and I think that kind of sums up the loss here. It, it, it almost feels like it can feel like we lost our whole world, our whole life, our whole identity. Um, but we were dying in, in the inside. Our soul was being squelched. We weren't able to function in health and wholeness and freedom and and live out our own lives. And so it's, it's a really hard and challenging process, often excruciating, often completely isolating, but you're gaining something. You're gaining your freedom and your health uh, and being set free from this, this system. Yeah, I think that what makes it, <clears throat> what makes it more tough than anything else, especially for someone who grew up in church, um, I did not. I had the leisure of, um, I did not become a Christian until I was 18 years old. So I am currently, oh, I just turned 26 this year. So I've, I was only a Christian, air quote, for eight, nine years, something like that. And uh, a lot of people are Christians for a lot longer than that before um if, if they leave, you know, so a lot of it is you are taught to, to believe this, this certain narrative, and this is the way it is. Um, what you were just saying, gain the whole world, why gain the whole world, but lose your soul. You know, you are told that your entire eternal destiny is completely wrapped up on this decision. And you are taught that, you know, that, the end goal for not following Jesus is hell. The end goal of following Jesus is heaven. And you don't want, like, why would you want to risk that decision? 
and you're in, and a lot of it too is when you leave the church, you keep aspects of your morality, but at the same time, other aspects of your morality actually change as well because you're not holding so strictly to those things that you once like that was your lifeblood, that was your essence, you know? You're freed up to make more more rational decisions because we were so constrained by fear, like you said, in that system. So we believe things not because they're necessarily moral or rational or even in our best interest, but because we're afraid for our own lives, both in this life and in the next. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's all I had to say about that. Um, feel free to take the floor. Give us, you know, just from your professional opinion, some tips and tricks, you know, for people who are just deconstructing from church or Christianity or religion in general, just like, how do we cope with this? How do we, how do we deal with this trauma? Because I've, I've listened to testimonies of people who have left Christianity and, the equivalent that they give is like a divorce. Like you are you are losing something that was so closely tied to you, to your emotions and your spirituality and everything about you. And then one day it's gone. How do you deal with that? Yes, exactly. So I, I like to frame it too as maybe a life crisis or a major life event on the level of, say, losing a spouse. It can really be that severe. It's it's something very major, one of the most major things that people can go through. And I say this in order to help us frame it and to not, not take it lightly as like, oh, I should be over this in a month. I mean, it it's a very severe and difficult, challenging event. It can also feel like dying, like my whole identity, I have to rebuild it from the ground up or, or my entire life structure, my life in the world. So both internally and externally. Yeah. And indoctrination is shaped like a spider web. It's, it's this web of entangling ideas and life structures and authorities and people that surrounds us on the outside and wraps inside us as well. And so... Uh, sometimes people stay in that web, even though pieces of the web are broken, like it doesn't make sense intellectually, or we're we're struggling with the relationship, uh, because the web sticks together in other areas. And like, if you, like, there's a scene in Lord of the Rings, where uh, Frodo is trying to escape the spider, and he's cutting through the webs, and like, he gets stuck in another one, and he cuts one, and he gets stuck in another, until finally he breaks free. It's kind of like that. And there are all these webs that were we're pulling out of ourselves as we go through this whole process. Uh, so yeah, it's a lot to deal with. And my first piece of advice is sign up for the journey, sign up for the process and take it seriously and do it for yourself. Commit to your own healing. Uh, this is not a quick fix. Uh, generally, I'm not saying that people can't have breakthroughs. Uh, but I mean, what we're dealing with here are patterns, behaviors, emotions, and ways of being that maybe we've dealt with our entire lives or we've committed large portions of our lives to learning. Um, And so 
it really is something that I think think in the range of like four or five years, and maybe it can take longer than that or maybe shorter, but just ballpark. Like a lot of times I think people feel rushed to get better or why am I still dealing with this? And it's really important to have patience for yourself and also to commit to a long-term process uh, and, and to, to develop practices and tools that have the long-term in mind. Do you think, from your opinion, that there are some people that may stay in the process too long? Like they've um, deconstructed what they believe, they've deconstructed everything down to, you know, God himself, but maybe there's just something that there is keeping them holding on that it it's just creating that hostility and that friction within themselves that uh, maybe it would be almost be better for them to to let go of that thing and move past it or or do you think like that's good to hold on to and someday it could lead them back to god or I don't know. Do you, to do, me, so do, do you think essentially? Do you think like people willingly hold on to this idea past the point of healthiness? To me, when someone is is angry and kind of stays that way, that speaks to wounding, and that means that someone is it, it has a a sticky area or a stuck point. Okay, uh, that that needs to be addressed, that needs to be healed. And it, to me, it's almost like they, they're there because they can't let go and they're trying to face something that keeps coming up over and over again and it's going to keep coming up until you find what the root of that issue is and actually work on process that blockage that's keeping you stuck. So I don't think it's something that people can just decide to move on from. I think it's an issue of doing the deep work. Okay. And... Uh, so, so I'm saying sign up for the journey. And there's a realization that I think that can come through in this process that healing is a journey. And we never reach a destination. And this is true for life, too. Every time you have an accomplishment, you think like, this is the thing. I just got my degree. I'm a professional now, right? And then you need to do something else. There's no such thing as arriving. And healing works like that, too. Uh, and then we begin to realize that the joy is in the process and there's a way to find joy even in painful processes. And there are real breakthroughs, but learning to be in the moment and in the experience of life uh, rather than getting there, so to speak, takes away a lot of the suffering in and of itself. So having this journey view. And the other thing I, I want to emphasize is psychotherapy. Okay. Or counseling or finding a relationship, a long-term relationship with a helping professional who you feel a connection with, who understands you and you're confident can can help you. Heal. See, I I've personally been thinking about that my for for myself. Um cuz you know, I've just been going through a lot with the whole, you know, dissecting and deconstructing religion and, you know, all of that. So it is daunting, and not only that, but I'm kind of, um, you could say obsessive. <laughs> so, like, when I focus on something, all of my energy goes into that. So, you know, I'm looking into this. I'm constantly watching, you know, 
atheist versus theist debates, and I'm looking up different theories of, like, why we're here and, like, all this different stuff. And, you know, when I, when I, when I put the time into studying something, I really go into it. So, you know, that, that can take a toll on you mentally. But all that to say that I myself have been, you know, taking in that consideration of finding a therapist or something like that around me because, you know, I have my friends and people around me, but I think like you said, it, it does the mind good to have a professional, someone who, you know, knows how the brain works and how, you know, how to process thoughts and stuff like that. So I think you're right about that. Yes. And and this is part of the idea of committing to the journey, too. I think a lot of people don't want to commit to therapy uh, because it, it can seem like a long process. But what we end up doing then is we try all these different things. We try quick fixes and just end up rebounding and, and not going anywhere and spending more time. So I'd say, like, you know, what if a year or a couple years in therapy is what you actually need to heal? And these, these are issues that affect us in the deepest ways. I mean, we have been psychologically abused. We've been often told to completely repress our sexuality and it, to police our thoughts constantly and have pervasive guilt. So these are deep issues and, and they require, yeah. I think, some level of, of insight that's outside of us. And the therapy process is... It's a process, and I think a lot of times people are looking for like a step guide or a template or a solution. You know, if I do X, Y, and Z, then I will heal from my religious trauma. I find this over and over again. Tell me what to do, and I understand that yeah. impulse because we wanna want to get better, right? And we want to know the answer. But the thing about how healing works, it's very counterintuitive. Uh, like we have, I like to call it an internal healer. We all have an inner healing mechanism, kind of like the way the body heals when you're sick. Yeah. There are these mechanisms and sometimes a surgeon needs to go in and remove blockages, but it's actually your body that knows how to heal itself and we're working with that. So it's a matter of these processes and patterns come up within the context of that relationship and the relational space it provides an empathetic, nurturing, loving, healing space where the patterns that you learned in childhood, say, of relating to people in an unhealthy way or of, of basing your life around fear, those will show up in the therapy setting and uh, or the traumas and in the way you talk about your experience. That will start to show up and you'll treat the therapist kind of like the way you've patterned maybe unhealthy relationships yeah. on and these things will come up and and we work with them and they start to unwind and we and we work through the blockages and then we start to experience being loved and seen in these experiences and, yeah, and, uh, I, and kind I, of reworking it. I like that because it's actually going through and processing who you are and your thoughts and your experiences that you've been through with the whole church thing and really going through everything and going through all the aspects of your life in a real honest way. I think religion, uh, specifically like with charismatic church, that was our syndrome that we went through. It gives you almost like an aspect of that. Um, almost like a, 
uh, I want to say specifically with like charismatic, um, Holy Spirit um, type things. It's almost like you really feel like something's happening, but at the same time, like it could have, it could just be a mind trick. And with a, I feel like with therapy, it's like you are you're delving deep inside yourself. You're figuring out who you are at the core of yourself instead of, um, like we were talking about meditation earlier, the differences between like Christian meditation and regular meditation where, you know, Christian meditation is like, you know, focusing on the scripture and praying it over myself and making myself believe like you're an awesome man of God. You are full of power and all this stuff as, as opposed to actual meditation, which is actually just looking in yourself and like, who am I? How do I process this? What am I, you know, whatever, what are my thoughts and stuff? So, um, I think with, with therapy, it, it's a very good thing because it's not, you know, you're not just, you're not telling yourself who you are. And I don't know if any of this makes sense to you, but it's just a thought I had. You're not telling yourself who you are. You're figuring out who you are. Yes. And those techniques that you're mentioning of, say, contemplating and meditating on scripture or praying, really what that is, is a form of emotional bypassing. Yeah. You're not acknowledging what you actually believe, what's your actual truth, and you're, you're repeating some lifeless mantra that's kind of a lie in a way. Uh, because it's not how you actually feel. And there's a there's an extent to which this works, and I'm all for shifting our emotional states uh, and focusing on the positive and being grateful. But those emotions are there for a reason, because they're trying to get us to pay attention to an yes. emotional truth, to a wounding. And if we keep ignoring them and stuffing them through spiritual disciplines, which is what the church tells us to do, when you're emotionally distressed, it tells you, pray try harder, be better, go to church more, be more accountable, serve more, do more good works. And what that is, is a way of ignoring and not loving ourselves because we're hurting. And that that functions like a drug. It's a drug of, of spiritual discipline. Yeah. What, what we're doing is when when we have these unpleasant emotions, we try to stuff them out of consciousness because they're unpleasant or because we're told they're sinful or dangerous by using these tools and they come up, the emotions work themselves out in our lives in unhealthy ways anyway, because it doesn't work to try to stuff your emotions. So we got to deal with them and therapy is a great place to do that. And also this, this opera, this time in our lives of, uh, we're kind of forced to rebuild ourselves. Like a lot of times we just have the ground ripped out from under us. And this is an opportunity to restart. So it's given to you. You're there whether you like it or not. Take advantage of it. Not many people ever get the opportunity to even become aware of the, the dogmatic systems of oppression that they're in. And so, so now that we're here, let's do it. Let's rebuild ourselves the right way. Yeah, no, I, that kudos to all that. I mean, I think that's really good stuff. Um, like you were talking about, uh, you know, coping mechanisms in church and stuff like that. It's kind of like the same aspect, like someone would take on 
alcoholism because they don't know how to deal with their depression or, you know, a dad who uh, is a workaholic because he's got problems at home and doesn't know how to deal with it and his wife's not happy or his kids are not good or I, I don't know, like it's almost like a coping mechanism. It, it feels like, like you're trying to convince yourself, no, I am not depressed. I am not this. I am not that. I, this is who I am. I am the man of God. And you get kind of like a, like a pseudo strength from that, you know, like as long as you really believe it and you keep that enthusiasm up, you really believe it and you're good. But the moment that rug is pulled out from under you and you're really processing, like, I never dealt with this. I never actually dealt with these issues in my life. They, I just, uh, like you were saying before, like you just suppress it and you never really deal with the real issues that are going on in your life. And I feel like that's where a lot of people are right now with this whole ex-evangelical movement, which is really why the main reason I wanted you on this podcast, because, you know, the issue we have is, you know, I feel like a lot of people aren't properly, and I don't say this to any disregard for anybody or any offense to anybody. Um, that's the last thing I want to do on the podcast. Um, but I see a lot of stuff going on on Twitter and Facebook and social medias and all these people banding together. And it's really good that these people are coming together. But at the same time, I see issues because I don't see people properly dealing with these things that are going on in their lives. And I can't say they aren't because, sorry, I worked all day, kind of tired, but um, I can't say they aren't because I don't know them personally. But, you know, based off stuff I see on social media and stuff like that, I just see a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, a lot of hostility. And, you know, maybe it's because people never had the, the time to actually process all this stuff going on in their psyche. You know, that everything is so repressed from church, they never had the possibility to actually work through what's going on in their head. And I think that's a lot of what you offer and a lot of what, you know, other people offer. That That's really good, and that's something I feel like we need to focus more on. Yes, and I think this is also an issue of awareness and psychoeducation, just in general, there's not a lot of knowledge out there on the value of, of therapy and of doing deep internal healing work. I think a lot of people tend to avoid therapy because they're afraid of dealing with the emotions that might come up and the pain yeah. of it. And that's a real thing, and I understand that. But at the same time, recognize you're already going through this. There's no avoiding it. And it's more painful to prolong the pain that's happening to you and that you're acting out on unconsciously uh, or, or lashing out. And and there's some validity to anger and to voicing that. But, but like you're saying, this staying stuck in unwellness and unhealth, there's a better way to go. And, and the healing process brings up pain, but it's just so nice to not be dominated by pain and emotions and memories and it's really it works this stuff works and no one is is too broken to be healed uh, you know there are treatments out there there's tons of study uh, for some of the most difficult cases 
And we're, we're all humans and we, we can all heal. We all have that within ourselves. So I really encourage people to sign up for the process. Yeah. And I, I really don't think there's a way of getting some of these things outside of the therapy relationship, honestly. If there was another way, I mean, there are other good modes of healing, which we'll get into. If there was another way, I'd, I'd recommend it. It's, it's not just because this is my field. Uh, just to do that kind of depth, personal work, and I know it can be... Ex- expensive and hard to afford but i guess i'd say like this is one of for anyone who's left this is a foundational life issue for you that we just got to deal with it at some point so trying to frame it as a priority or almost a necessity i I think might be a helpful thing yeah and you know as long as you're financially stable i i feel like it's it's worth paying for i mean you know that's why i've been contemplating you know actually you know, going to a therapist myself, you know, like, because I feel like I I have been so back and forth since I started my journey, because I'm trying to process all of this myself. You know, one week, I'm like, all right, yeah, this is just this journey God's got me on. Next week, I'm like, I don't know if God's real. The next week, I'm like, dude, what if simulation theory is right? (laughs) You know, like, I'm going through all these different processes. It's a process. And for those who can't afford it, I mean, there is Medicaid and welfare yeah. programs, and they exist for, for people who don't have the financial resources. There's no shame in taking advantage of that. So if you, I think if you prioritize this, you can find a way to get, get help that you need. That's kind of my point here. And that a lot of these processes are nonlinear. It's a nonlinear process of healing. It's a relational process of healing. The healing takes place within relationship. And uh, it's so it's not a simple kind of do X, Y, and Z. Like, uh, it'd be great if it was. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode. We have a few more lined up that we're going to break up, chop up, and throw out. But anyways, we've got some really exciting stuff to continue talking about with Andrew Jasko. Me and him get into a lot of different topics in our discussion. I'm excited to share this with you. I'm excited that you get to hear it. We've got some very big changes coming to the podcast soon, so please stay tuned for that. We've got some big updates. You might be sad. You might be happy. Who knows what you're going to be feeling, but I'm excited to be sharing it with you soon. Like always... Go to the Facebook, go to iTunes, go to Twitter, um, hit us up on social medias, give us those ratings, those reviews, those likes, those follows, whatever you want to do, whatever you feel like uh, your spirituality can handle. (laughs) Um, Either way, guys, I appreciate the support, guys and girls. We're inclusive here. We appreciate the support here at Pilgrims and Prodigals, and we're really excited that we get to go along this journey with you. Until next time, keep pursuing, you know, keep going on that path, on that journey, and we'll talk to you soon. See you guys.